Welcome to Transparent Homeschooling. This is Carla Givens. Today on the show, I talked to Susan Strickland. She is a Memoria Press Online Academy Latin teacher. I met her at the beginning of the summer because I actually took a Latin course through Memoria Press. It was the first adult class that they have offered, and it was Susan's idea to offer this class. And I'm so thankful for it because it really gave me the confidence and the knowledge that I needed to teach my kids and to teach my tutorial students because I'm teaching first form Latin for the first time in tutorial this year. She also gave me the confidence to teach online. Since COVID, a lot of our classes are online now. And since I took an online class from her, I really learned how to make online learning and online teaching fun and so I'm just the class happened at the perfect time for me it was so much fun I enjoyed Susan so much she was just such a great teacher but she also was just she became a friend she was just really um really personable and I just I knew that she was the one that I wanted to talk to about Latin on this podcast I have multiple questions about Latin every week and I'm not into to the point in my own Latin education to really be able to thoroughly answer all of these questions. So I just knew that she would be the person for the job. I'm going to shout out to the people who asked some questions. Um, thank you, Tiffany Nash, J.F. Schubert, Jessica Lanigan, Bren Hotman, Liz Nira, Miranda Jones, Christy Gaffari and Christina Meeks. I know there were a few others who also sent in some questions. Um, I think that we answered most of them just through our conversation, even if I didn't actually ask the question. If not, though, if you guys still have questions after listening to this, please reach out to me. Um, I may know the answer, and if not, I will give you Sue's email address. She does not really get on social media, but I will give you her email address. She said that she, that you she would love to to talk to people. She she has a heart for moms and for Latin, and she just would love to to talk to you. So please let me know that you listened and let me know if you have any questions and if you decide to start teaching latin after you listen to this podcast please let me know because that just makes me so happy um and i can't wait for you to hear all of our reasons why we teach latin and why we think it's important um you can find me on instagram or facebook at transparent homeschooling you can also email me at transparenthomeschooling at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. I love it when you tell me that you listened and you tell me what you liked. I also would love to hear feedback about previous episodes, but also about what you want to hear in future episodes. I have some more interviews lined up, but I'm so open to whatever you guys want to hear, whoever you want me to reach out to, to talk to on here, and just whatever you, whatever you would like to know, whatever you are interested in, because this has been so much fun for me, more fun than I actually thought it would be. And I, I would just, I would love to just explore some new options too. So just let me know, let, let me know that you're listening and let me know what you want to listen to. And now I will let you hear from Sue Strickland. Hey Sue, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you so much for being on here today. It is an honor. I've been really excited to talk to you. I've missed your voice over the summer. I got to hear you and see your face every week, twice a week, and I have really missed that. (laughs) So you're in Maine right now, right? I am. What is the weather like there? Uh, It's actually kind of pretty. The leaves are turning. It's getting colder. 
it's getting darker, which is the problem. Yeah. Uh, I really don't like the dark. We have very, very short days. It'll be dark by 4.30. Oh, so my goodness. Up till 7, something like that. It's, it's pretty, pretty depressing in the winter. Does that make you tired? Even here, it gets, in Tennessee, it, it gets yeah. dark earlier, and I just get so tired. I just want to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I started giving myself permission to turn on, to turn on lots of lights early on in the day, you know, yeah. just go around the house and turn lights on just to make it seem like you know, it's not really that late. So yeah, there you go. We'll just talk about yourself and your family for a little bit. Sure. Um, so I was born and raised in California. Um, I graduated from UCLA with a degree in music. My concentration was in vocal performance, graduated and then ended up moving East. My mom had an, a, a bed and breakfast in, believe it or not, uh, she just sort of did this crazy thing and bought a bed and breakfast and opened it up. And so I went to help her. Um, but eventually, um, just wanted to strike out on my own and um, moved to Buffalo, New York, of all places, because there was an international student ministry that I was interested in being involved with, which I was for a number of years. Um, it was a really, really wonderful experience. Um, but in Buffalo, met my husband. He's from Georgia. Get that. But he was sent there by the army and we met in church and obviously got married uh, 33 years ago. We had our first child there. And then eventually, because he was still in the army, we were moved. So we moved to Springfield, Massachusetts. Then we moved to Maine, which is where we are now. I'm Brunswick, Maine. And we've been here for 25 years. He retired. So we just decided to settle here and, um, you know, had found a community here. Didn't really, because we were from different places, didn't have, uh, you know, a draw to any one of the places where our family was. So we decided to stay here and actually are both kind of shocked that we're still here in the sense of that we're neither of us is from here. But yeah, yeah so it's, um, it's been a, it's been a nice place. It was a, you know, our, probably the biggest draw was just, it's just a great place to raise kids. You know, it's mm-hmm. quiet. It's really safe. Um, it's beautiful. Um, the ocean is nearby, which is my favorite. So you know, just, uh, we, we, we've really enjoyed it. My husband is, he's now an accountant, um, and he's a great outdoorsman. So he loves to hike and backpack and fish and do all that. So Maine has been great for him. Uh, we have three kids, three grown children. Uh, my oldest is in grad school. He's um, working on his PhD. I'll talk about him a little bit later because he, he initiated my whole homeschooling thing. And so he's getting a, uh, working on his PhD in English. Then our daughter's next, and she is happily married to her college sweetheart. They together have um, a two-year-old, and her husband is doing a postdoc right now and then looking for a more permanent job. Um, And then our younger son uh, married his college sweetheart, and um, he was a a math teacher at a charter school after graduating from college uh, for three years. And then now he works for Hillsdale college. Um, and actually all five of them are our three kids and their two spouses all graduated from Hillsdale, which is oh, wow. kind of interesting. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much it. Now were their spouses homeschooled growing up? Uh, no, one of them, uh, my daughter's husband was public school. And um, my son's wife uh, was a Christian school, private okay. Christian school. Well, yeah. let's talk about your journey to homeschooling. How did you, because I mean, that was 
a lot much different time than now with with the homeschool world. Um, so just talk about when you started and what your reasons for starting were. Sure. So I was the one more resistant to homeschooling, um, probably because I knew I would be doing it um, <laughs> for my husband. So, but then we started meeting homeschool families. We decided to go to a homeschool conference and just sort of all of those things together started to make me anyway, convince me more that I wanted to homeschool. And then also just the ability to marry our, you know, our faith and our schooling together. And we knew mm -hmm. that that could be a real challenge in a public school setting. The interesting thing is that both of my parents are retired public school teachers. Um, so oh. they were, they were very skeptical mm -hmm. <laughs> about our homeschooling. And, you know, depending upon the thing, maybe a little bit critical in the beginning, but in the end, I think we, we convinced them that we had made a good decision. So that was kind of like what the impetus was. Um, my son, I started homeschooling in 1994 when my son was four. He was, as I term him, a precocious reader. Um, so he's the one that's doing the PhD in English. So that explains nice. that. Um, and he just, you know, I read to him all the time. And it was clear that he really needed to learn to read. And so that's what kind of initiated the whole, well, I guess we're going to start this sooner than, than we think. Um, and so that's, so I did. And then just as each kid came along, just layered them in um, into that. And I homeschooled officially for 12 years. Funny thing though, um, my kids have sort of a patchwork quilt of education. They, we start off the homeschooling, then they went part-time homeschool, part-time Christian school, and then eventually all ended up in public school, which oh. I never in a million years saw coming. Um, in the beginning, I was one of those diehards, you know, I'm going to do this to the end, yeah. and then throw my limits, you know. And at yeah. that point, um, online learning was pretty limited. Um, you know, having a computer was, I mean, it sounds like the dark ages, but there was a desktop, which was enormous and expensive. And right. even access to online schools was, was pretty limited. So that really wasn't even an option that we felt was available. So we were very, very thankful for the Christian school, the classical school that opened up. So we outsourced, as I like to say, our older son. Um, he took logic and science. Those were areas I was not going to go near. Um, although in retrospect, I wish I had done logic with him. Um, and so one thing led to another. Um, I ended up, uh, well, I'll get into that later when we talk about the whole Latin thing, but um, they ended up going there. And then, like I said, public school. And really, I think it was academically, it was fine. Um, there really weren't any problems by the time they were in high school. They went to a really good high school. So they were very challenged academically. Socially, it was actually not a bad thing um, for them. So that was kind of, it's kind of a little bit of it. I mean, I know everybody has sort of a different story as far as yeah. how, they, how they come to it and how they go through it. So absolutely. And um, well, I like that you said too, that they, you know, went to different schools too, because so many people right now, they're doing this just for a season. They may be doing it just because of COVID and they may end up sending yeah. them back or they may be doing it just until high school. So yep. it's nice to hear a lot of different stories. You know, exactly, exactly. And I think it's so easy to, as a homeschool mom to lock yourself in to a paradigm that may not actually work for you. And if you think that it's supposed to and it's not, then mm -hmm. <laughs> that can create a lot of problems, too. So, yeah, absolutely. Just that freedom and that, ex, you know, that um, 
that flexibility in how God leads you um, with your family and knowing that it's not one size fits all. Yes, that's so good to know. And also, I know for me and a lot of my friends anyway, we think about how if if we ever did have to put our kids into school, how hard would it be? Would they struggle? Would the transition be hard? So it's nice to hear someone who didn't really have an issue with that. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it really for my older son, who is really stimulated by group interaction. And um, if for him, it was just, it was practically seamless for him. Um, my daughter was a little harder in the beginning, but then, you know, she kind of found her place. Uh, she's yeah. an arts person, you know, theater and music. And once she found that it was, she was home. And then yeah. the younger son of the three, my younger son had the hardest time. Um, but on a social level, academically, he did great. Um, mm-hmm. And it certainly prepared him well for college. And so they were all very, very well prepared for college. And I think um, it's interesting, you know, having conversations with them now as adults and just over the years and how they look back on our homeschool, you know, their joke is that we've studied, we studied Egypt for 10 years because, you know, when I found the classical, when I found classical homeschooling, you know, you've got to start with Egypt and, yeah. and it a huge paradigm shift in our homeschool. And so then, so that was very, it made a mark on them. Yeah. <laughs> so they, we have this ongoing joke that all we studied was Egypt. Oh. Um, but, um, but I think it was, but I think they do have an appreciation. Um, and with two of my three having taught at one time or another at a classical school, which is, you know, I love the, uh, I love the irony there, but, um, you know, they both said that it, it really did prepare them even for that. So that was was really kind of a neat thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, well, what were some of your struggles as a homeschool mom? Oh, wow. Um, there are so, you know, everybody, I think there's, there's some common themes that a lot of homeschool moms have. And then there's can be, there can be some anomalies. Um, I think just coming up with a routine that I could realistically stick to, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I took my homeschooling really seriously. I kind of looked at it in a way like my career. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it, I put a lot of effort into that planning, but that took a while to figure out, especially as kids started to layer in on a more formal basis. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that was a, you know, a challenge that just took time and patience and trial and error, I would say. I think finding good curricula that Mm -hmm. made sense to me, um, that I didn't know that that was something that actually was an important factor in making a decision was what I like to teach, because if it didn't make sense to me or I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. I just would be faithful to it, which is what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was bouncing, you know, from curriculum to curriculum, which I see homeschool parents do a lot. You know, I I manned the uh, memorial table at uh, a a regional, uh, one of the homeschool conferences here a few years ago. And I just saw those moms with their arms full of books. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I remember those days of just everything just looks so good and everything looks so wonderful. But you have to have sort of, you know, be able to find that plan and find that kind of that trajectory for your family. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to just hop around and therefore, you know, the inconsistency can kind of get built in. So I think just being able to be, give myself permission to like what I taught (laughs) and to have sense to me. Um, I think that, um, I think one of the common themes is that curse of comparison. That's what I like to call it, of just constant comparing of, 
what I'm doing versus what somebody else is doing, what my family looks like versus another family. Um, you know, back in the day when I was homeschooling, there wasn't social media, um, mm-hmm. but you got those magazines and you had this, saw the perfect families on the covers and you read all their stories and you said, well, I guess I failed. You know, it's just so easy to kind of get into that place. And I think with social media, it's just really can be, I, I'm thankful that I didn't have that because I think I would have really struggled with that constant comparison because it was already hard enough. Um, yes. So I think that's, you know, that's a big one. Just, you know, typical mom guilt, typical just exhaustion. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot. You're, you're running a house, you're teaching your kids, you're by yourself a lot of the day. Um, and that can, be, that can be really, really challenging. Um, I had a, a really serious health thing that happened um, early on that, you know, was an ongoing thing for a while. So that played into it. I mean, it's just, there's just a lot of, it's never smooth sailing, I don't think. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I just think you hit the nail on the head. There's so many things and we pretty much all struggle with most of those things. So yeah. yeah. So what, what got you through? I mean, you're on the other side of it now. So obviously right. you, you made it, you persevered. So what were some things that just really helped you during those hard times? Um, you know, obviously prayer and, mm-hmm. um, you know, camping out in the word of God, you know, faithfully attending church, listening to the sermons, you know, all of those things that as Christians, we, we practice, but that can get, they can get, they can get hijacked um, mm-hmm. when you're homeschooling. I think it's very, very easy to neglect those things. Um, and I think that we do ourselves and our families a disservice when we, when we do that. And it doesn't have to be any big deal, even if it's just a little bit, you know, uh, just a, a short time of prayer and some, you know, some verses that we can meditate on through the day that that can just get us through, I think, a lot and just reminding ourselves of the truth that God's word has. I think just other homeschool moms, you know, mm-hmm. ones that were in the trenches with me and some that were down the road. Um, I have this uh, really, really dear friend. Um, she was my first married friend, I call her, when I was in Buffalo. I was, you know, a young, you know, college graduate, and she was married with a couple kids, and she was starting to homeschool. And she was really, I think, the inspiration for me to homeschool. Um, but she was always kind of a step ahead of me. Well, actually, many steps ahead of me. And so I could run a lot of things by her. I could, you know, just kind of watch her and see how she did it. And she did it. She homeschooled for 30 years. So um, she had seven kids. So, (laughs) you know, so she, you know, that and, and then, like I said, people that were more on the same, at the same place as I, um, just having that support was really helpful. Um, A friend of mine, she lived about 15 minute drive away. And sometimes we would just agree to take a day off. And I can't Mm -hmm. tell you what a great idea that is. I think everyone needs to do that spontaneously. So when the kids saw that I was packing up the half and half and, you know, getting our stuff together and they're like, are we going to go have donuts and coffee? And it's like, <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and it, but it would be a spontaneous thing, but it was, we both just sort of needed that. And it didn't happen all the time, obviously, because we just were both very serious about our homeschooling, but everyone's while that kind of little mini vacation, if you will, was just to really kind of put the wind back into your sails. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit about social media and how that's different now. Have you seen any other things that are different for homeschoolers now versus when you first started? 
wow, the curriculum that is out there is, I, I don't envy you guys making decisions about what to it's do. It's overwhelming, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like I said, when I was at that conference, um, I just walked by, I didn't actually walk into the, the room where all the tables were. Oh my goodness, it was just, I, I think, you either want it all or you don't want anything because you're either yes. so overwhelmed or so inspired, you don't know which to choose. And yep. um, it's, I think that's a huge thing. Um, the online classes, obviously, are, are such a huge help. I think particularly for older children, um, you know, like maybe junior high, late junior high into high school, um, that is, that can be a real gift. Um, and like I said, I didn't have access to that. They're just worth the schools that there are now. So uh, I think that's a really wonderful um, option. I think online support groups, um, you know, mm -hmm. you had mentioned the, uh, the Facebook, the Memorial Press Facebook group. Um, yes. You know, there can be, oh, so many places for that. And I think that can be a huge help. Um, just having, having a place to go where people understand you. You don't have mm -hmm. to explain a lot of stuff. They just all get it. And you can really encourage one another, pray for one another know and have that be um especially if you live in a place i know a number of moms live in really rural areas and they just mm -hmm. don't have anything near them so that can be really really i think important for them absolutely yeah there's such a huge community of homeschoolers everywhere we're thankful that in our community we are able to see other homeschoolers regularly but we're also involved in some online too so it's really nice yeah. to have that the curriculum okay. is overwhelming once i found memoria press I decided to stick with it, but yeah. I constantly see all of these other new and shiny things come out, especially when we go to the Teach Them Diligently conference, and I just want to look at it and buy it. And <laughs> I Sorry, I think what, what you said as far as like you're finding, you know, Memorial Press and feeling like, okay, this, this is resonating with me, mm -hmm. and you can, not that you have to necessarily do the entire thing, but at least you know, a big chunk, kind of the spine, if you will, of your homeschool can be that. And if, you know, you don't like which math program you use, you'd find another math program. But, you yeah. know, it's a way to, to have a, a direction and to be able to go and not, um, not miss stuff. Because I, yeah, like I was yeah. before, you hop around all the new and shiny stuff, as you aptly put it, yeah. um, you know, there can be holes and you really yes. don't want to have that. And I think doing just the core of Memoria Press, you don't have those holes, but you still have room for other interests. Like yes. if you and if you want to only do Memoria Press and do all the enrichment and everything, you have everything you need. But like for us, we mainly just do the core subjects and then we have plenty of room to add other things and read whatever books we want and things like yep. that. So it's really worked well for us. Absolutely love it. So let's see. When now, okay, now let's get to the good stuff that everybody wants to hear. Latin. I have questions about Latin multiple times a week, and I am just not able to answer them all because I'm kind of like, I mean, I'm just four years into to teaching Latin, but you know, we started with the younger, the younger grades. So when did you start teaching? What led you to start teaching Latin? And did you have a Latin background? I know that's a lot, but. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, it's fine. Um, well, let me just start off by saying I call myself an imposter classicist um, <laughs> because I don't have a degree in classics. I will talk a little bit more later, a little later about some stuff that I did do that was maybe looked a little bit more like a classicist. But initially it was just a uh, discovering it through classical education in general. So read the, you know, the Well-Trained Mind, 
Mm -hmm. um, as many people have read, it blew my mind and completely changed the way I homeschooled. Um, you know, that whole classical, not only classical methodology, which is very easy to get fixated on, but the classical perspective of, mm -hmm. um, you know, just the importance of studying history and philosophy and languages and all of that tying together to really, in a sense, perpetuate our culture and, and to raise kids with, with an understanding of their own history of, um, you know, learning from that history and growing in wisdom as we look at history, as we go forward, um, just all of those pieces made complete sense to me. And that's when, that's when Egypt came in and my kids said we studied Egypt for 10 years because we started at the beginning with our history and did the whole four-year cycle thing. And so, of course, um, Susan Weisbauer talked about Latin. And I'd had a lot of French in my background. I lived in France for a summer as an exchange student. I took French for years in college and even dabbled in becoming a French major. But I couldn't find any curriculum that was really systematic for kids. There's lots of anecdotal stuff. Um, and my kids to this day will just burst out these little phrases they still remember from those, you know, cassettes we listened to in the car and things like that. But I, I didn't want to approach language in that way. And just the way she presented Latin, it was more systematic and kind of, uh, I was like, okay, this makes sense to do this, not only from a linguistic standpoint, but just in other ways as well. So I got three different Latin curricula. I borrowed two from friends and uh, purchased the Latina Christiana because no one I knew was using that. And I just looked at them side by side. And as I looked at Latina Christiana, I said, this makes sense. I get what she's saying here. This, this is what I want. So I started with that. And lo and behold, who knew that what would happen to me? But I worked, <laughs> my, we worked our way through Latina Christiana 1 and then Latina Christiana 2, which I don't think is in publication anymore. And that was before the form series uh, was written. And then eventually went into Henley Latin. So I was doing this at home. And... I don't know what happened, but I hung up my music degree and decided that Latin was my new identity. <laughs> it was just, it became something that I had no expectation that it would become. So I just loved teaching it to my kids um, and then got this phone call out of the blue from the classical school that my son attended. And they said, we're looking for a Latin teacher. They knew I loved Latin. They knew that I was doing it at home with my kids and was doing a, a decent job. And uh, so I had about 24 hours. I sat down and scribbled out my schedule for the year and tried to figure out if I could pull it off. And I could and decided to just do it. And so I started with Henley Latin. Um, starting at, you know, zero, I had 13 kids in the class, everywhere from sixth grade to 12th grade, and just taught as best I could, um, as far as as far as what I mean by pace, you know, I, I thought I would get further than I could but then just realized it was my, my goals were a little ambitious. So that d developed into uh, not a full-time job, but I ended up really taking on the whole Latin program at the school um, and developing for different levels. Um, then the form series, the form, yeah, the form series was no, no, actually the form series wasn't even still was not out. So we did Latina Christiana and Henley, but then 2008 hit the great recession school closed. We couldn't financially make it anymore. So I 
went off on by, my, by myself, uh, tutored, held my own classes, um, eventually joined up with a co-op where I've been teaching ever since. And then I contacted Memorial Press with some ideas I had about the National Latin Exam. I had been giving it to my students for a number of years and just shared some materials that I was kind of working on. And they said, would you like to teach some classes for the National Latin Exam? It just came out of nowhere. So I developed those classes and taught them. That was my first uh, time with Memorial Press officially as, as an employee as a teacher. And then one thing led to another. I've been teaching with them since 2013, taught everything from first form, I'm sorry, Latina Christiana through fourth form, national Latin exam classes, uh, adult classes. And um, I've been doing some writing and editing for them as well. And um, oh, I skipped this part. So when the school closed, um, I found out that I could take Latin classes at the local university. And so I just thought, you know, I'm just going to try it just to see how I do. Because I was pretty much an autodidact, which is, you know, a self teacher. And so I didn't know if I really knew Latin. And so I went and I did. And it was pretty amazing. But I also realized I had so much more to learn. So it was wonderful. I took three courses there, um, did very well. But it really broadened my understanding of the language, the depth, the breadth of the language and the culture. And that really enriched my teaching and helped me, I think, become a much better teacher um, just because I had just this uh, pool of knowledge that I, I did not have before. And so that, and I also, the local high school, there was a, a the Latin teacher there who ended up becoming a really good friend of mine was very generous with her time. I, she was almost like a private tutor, uh, but she really mentored me and very patiently answered a lot of really dumb questions over the, you know, over email. And, but she was absolutely invaluable for my, my confidence and my motivation to keep going. So that's my funny Latin story. I mean, I never, never saw it coming. Um, well, and- I think you definitely found your calling because you have a gift for it. I took your class over the summer and it helped me so much. It helped my confidence. It helped me understand some things that I just couldn't quite get before just doing it with the DVDs and the books. And yeah. so I think you're a great teacher. You make it fun. You gave me so many ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I love to do that. I, and that's, I think that's a really big part. Uh, you know, Latin has this terrible reputation of being a dead language. I'm like, no, 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 it is not a dead language. And yeah. I think part of what makes really any class good is the enthusiasm and the love the teacher has for the subject. Um, so yeah. if, if, if that's what I can pass on, um, you know, one thing that I, I was, as I was writing, you know, kind of percolating over my answers to your questions of, mm-hmm. if I hear things like Latin is so cool, or yeah. I love Latin, or I hate Latin less than I did. Yeah. I mean, those are victories to me, you know, yeah. and if I can pass that on to students. That's yes. great. Those, those light bulb moments that they have are, are just, you can't trade those for anything. And then the teaching the, the adults, that was, I had no idea how wonderful that would be. I just, I could do that forever. It was really, really well, I'm fun so and thankful. inspirational. Yes. Yeah, you guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. I was very inspired by you. <laughs> I love being part of your first group of, of adults. Yes, you you're my guinea pigs. <laughs> Do you remember That's our right. class with the guinea pigs? 
Remember, I, I did the 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 screen. I I said you know graduating class, and I had the picture of the guinea pigs. Did oh you see yes, that? yes, yeah. I did. Yeah, sorry, you cut out for a little bit. Yes, that was so much fun. All of your pictures, all your cat pictures, and everything. No, I, <laughs> um, I remember you posted a picture of Yoda, and I think that's where I got the idea from. But now, in all of my slides and my classes every week, I have a class full of boys, and so I have pictures oh. of Yoda, and we need we use our Yoda voices to conjugate. Yes. Oh, Carla, that is perfect. That and I've heard perfect. from several of them that it's their favorite class and it makes me so happy. <laughs> that is exactly, that is exactly what you should do. I, I used to joke when, when the classical school was really going great guns, we had considered buying some property and building a school because it looked like that's the direction we we're heading before everything kind of hit the fan. Um, and I used to joke that I needed a soundproof wing in the school for Latin because my classes were so loud because we, I just, I, well, I talk loud because I get excited, but I would have them do that kind of stuff, you know, these mm -hmm. chants and these, you know, just because that kind of stuff can be drudgery if there isn't something that's kind of added in there to, to make it a lot more fun. So I, well, the, let's, yeah. 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 Let's talk about that more a little bit, because that's a question that I was going to ask later on, but since we're already talking yeah. about it, um, can you give some, like, some detailed ideas of how to make it fun? Obviously, Yoda, we just talked about that, but what are some other things? That's great. Uh, let me th well, okay, first of all, I think fun, you know, fun has to be qualified. I mm -hmm. think that fun isn't always, you know, doing the Yoda voices and doing the cheers. It's actually mastery is fun. And yeah. that was actually a question that, you know, one of the questions that was posed. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I really try to emphasize to my students is if you do the grunt work, if you do the things that are the hard discipline kind of aspects of Latin, when you master those and you tackle a sentence you've never seen before and you translate it correctly, that is fun. Yeah. And invariably, I, that, those are the comments that I'll hear from students. And so fun and mastery actually can go hand in hand. They sound yeah. like they're antithetical, but they're not. Um, so that just say that up front. Um, but I think, um, like you were saying, you know, using different voices, different accents. Um, one of the things that I did with, with uh, declensions, either, you know, noun declensions as a whole or just endings, is we would repeat them three times and I would let them choose what volume we did it. So we had, you know, pian piano and medium, you know, and, and loud. And so everybody got to choose and then we would do it in these various orders. And then sometimes we'd whisper and, and I tell you, those kids knew their endings, you know, yeah. and, um, and it was, it just, it, it was the way we would start off the class. So it would kind of bring some energy into the classroom right away, um, mm -hmm. which I think really helped with their engagement. Um, mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff can be fun. And this can be done at home. I did this at home with my own kids. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, my, my younger son, when he, before he was formally in Latin, he had this really funny dance that he did when we declined. So he just had this funny little thing. And every time we started to decline a noun or endings or whatever, he did this dance. And it was so <laughs> funny. But like I said, he learned his endings early on. Um, I think... Um, you know, getting together with other families that are doing Latin can be really fun. So you can have sports competitions, you could have like, you know, Roman games, and, you know, it could be a lot of different things or even modern games, but, you know, you can be dressed up in togas or things like that. Um, you can have spelling bees. My kids love to do spelling bees. Those were really fun and review lessons. 
um, Jeopardy, um, even just recitations, having uh, memory work that they know, uh, mm-hmm. things like the Lord's Prayer or mm-hmm. other songs or things like that. Um, I actually had one class. This is my, my guinea pig class at the classical school. We took a whole week. I told them if we finished this by the certain unit, we would take the whole last week of school and just make videos. And you would not believe the creativity that came up. And so this, these two girls in about 10 minutes made up a song called the subjunctive rap. And if you don't know subjunctive in Latin, this song will help you learn it. So it, it was absolutely hilarious. I used, I still use it in my classes. They kind of think it's a little weird, but it is <laughs> so good. It is so, it was so creative. So, you know, just those kinds of things, just sort of letting your, your creativity go. And if you don't feel creative, ask other people to help you with some ideas. Um, yeah. um, I think also like presentations, um, you know, like if they're doing famous men in Rome or something like that, having these more, kind of formal presentations can be very, they can be fun in retrospect because they, they you accomplish something that's really, really uh, satisfying. Mm-hmm. And we all know that, you know, it's when you work hard and, and, and get that thing that there's a great satisfaction that that actually can be looked at as fun too. So yes. those are just, you know, some ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I feel like we're kind of going on order here, but that's okay. So the question everybody has that who hasn't started Latin, but it's thinking about it. Like, yeah, yeah. why should I add Latin to my homeschool? Why oh, like, five kids and we struggle getting our core subjects in. I keep thinking about Latin, but why should I do it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was, that was the question that I probably, as I was thinking through these answers, spent the most time on. Yeah. Um, because it's a really big and important question. Um, now, I'll just say off the top of my head, Cheryl Lowe, Martin Cothran, they've written fabulous articles on why you should study Latin. That, you know, yeah. you, if you need some place to start, you know, just even if it's very, very basic, they have some really compelling things that they have to say about it. But from my own experience, this, these are the things that have surprised me, I guess you could say, over the years that, that have reinforced and also motivated me to keep going. And um, it's something that's still percolating in my mind. It's something that has been percolating for years and I think will probably continue to do so because I don't feel like there's an answer. I don't think mm-hmm. that, I think that that's too, too limited. Um, you know, the default answer, whenever you ask, people find out that, you know, I'm teaching Latin. Oh, so they must have really good vocabulary, must do really well on tests. That's just like this default answer for studying Latin. But it actually doesn't give Latin the credit it deserves. I think that that's, that's I, I just don't think it, it, it says enough. Um, so the thing, so there are a number of things that have, I've just discovered over the years. I love reading about books about the way people learn, the way our brains learn, the way um, we gain knowledge, the way we maintain knowledge, those kinds of books. I just find them to be very, very fascinating. And as I read these books and they give these sort of formulas or these ideas of how we learn and the best way to help us to learn, I keep coming back to, we need to study Latin. We need to study Latin. We need to study Latin because there's something about the language that works our minds in a way that 
I don't know if anything else can. I think math, math is a probably close, but I think because there's a, there's a different language piece, uh, you know, math is a kind of language as well. But um, so, oh, so I liken Latin to being sort of a mental drill sergeant. And this is what probably most older kids in particular find that find distasteful about it um, because it requires a lot of discipline and patience. Um, you learn attention to detail. So especially junior high kids in general are not mm -hmm. super detailed oriented just in general. I think that's right. what I found with junior hires. So it forces them to be, uh, to pay attention to detail. Um, and it's constant problem solving. I think it's wonderful for children in particular because their minds are developing language at a breakneck speed and Latin is very sequential and very logical and it just merges into that, that language development. Um, there's constant multitasking because Latin is an inflected language, which as most people know, it's, it's not word order dependent, it's dependent upon endings. And so these endings are constantly changing and moving depending upon what word we're talking about. So when you have to land on the proper case and number for a particular word, you have to go through a number of permutations you know, for them to land on the proper um, noun or verb form in a sentence, that you have to go through a number of, of really fast decisions to get to that point. And that comes from training. That comes from that constant repetition. You know, the repetitio mater studiorum, right? Repetition is the mother of learning. And that constant repetition is what enables you to be able to be facile like that. Mm -hmm. And young minds, children in particular, it's like a game to them. They love repetition. They love mm -hmm. those kinds of chants. Older kids find them to be rather boring, unless there's some way you can sort of make it a little bit more interesting. So I think that... Um, you know, we tend to approach language um, with, um, with a thought that it needs to be immediate. So I learn a few phrases from the phrase book. I go visit France and I can order coffee. I mean, that, we have this instant gratification and we think that's what the purpose is. Right. Latin is a much bigger purpose mm -hmm. than that. I mean, you can go places and speak Latin. There are conferences, there are mm -hmm. classes, there are all kinds of places where you can go and speak Latin, but that's not its goal. Um, right. Back in the day, of course, it was a spoken language, but that's not the primary goal now, although the spoken Latin people would disagree with me on that. I'll just <laughs> say that. <laughs> so I think just um, developing your mind, and I think any, anything you do in Latin will set a fabulous foundation, not only for your own English skills, uh, especially for more advanced um, kinds of structures that are necessary in higher uh, forms of writing and speaking, but any other language that you want, particularly romance languages because of their connection to Latin. But even if you were to pick up Arabic or mm -hmm. something else, I mean, you're, you're already, your mind is already attuned to complication and complex uh, syntax and, um, you know, just that, that kind of workout that you get mentally that yeah. I think it's, can be a wonderful um, preparation for that if that's your goal. But I, but I have also found it also can be an end in itself. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, I mean, you know, some people do crossword puzzles, Sudoku. I do Latin. I mean, it yeah. just keeps my brain going. I find it very stimulating. And I think that, 
you know, students learn to appreciate it um, as they work at it, and, and then they start to see some of the, the, the fruits of their labor. So I kind of talked all over the map on that no. one, and I hope that there were a few things that people could pull yeah, from that, but absolutely. it's not the traditional answer. I feel like yeah. there's just, there's so much it has to offer, and it's, it requires character, I guess, to really, to really stick with it, and, and it, yes. I think that's the thing that, that a lot of students struggle with. Yeah. Um, are the expectations that it requires. Yeah, no, I totally agree with everything you said. And I think it's for some people who don't teach it yet. I think once you do, you'll see, you'll see all yeah. of these things. Like you can see their minds working. You can see, like, see the wheels turning and they get so excited when they figure out how to translate a sentence because, yeah. well, for one thing, Latin is hard, right? Everybody knows that Latin is hard. Their parents are probably like Latin is hard. I don't know Latin. And so when they can do that, and their parents can't even do that. It's just, they feel so confident and so sure of themselves. And yeah. it's just fun to see. It's fun to see them conquer this thing that just seems impossible sometimes, you know? Right. Now, I wonder if, you know, people say, like you were saying, Latin is hard. And I think the thing that I hear a lot of times is that Latin is only for smart people. Mm -hmm. um, and so my students will say, they'll tell their friends they're taking Latin. They go, oh, you must be smart. I'm actually convinced that Latin makes you smart. Yes. I don't think it's something that you approach because you are smart. Yeah. Um, and let me give you a couple of anecdotal stories that I think are really interesting. So my husband's reading um, an autobiography of Booker T. Washington. He read me this part the other night, um, and I'm going to read the quote because it was really fascinating. So Booker T. Washington, people know who he is, and he you know, didn't have access to education for much of his life and then ended up being able to go to a college and learn. And um, this was what he said. And this was um, talking about the perspective among the freed slaves at the time. There was a further feeling that a knowledge, however little, of the Greek and Latin languages would make one a very superior human being, something bordering almost on the supernatural. I just, wow. I couldn't believe that that was something, and, and apparently Greek and Latin among the, the freed slaves who were being mm -hmm. educated was, was, a, was a, a passion, wanted to take it and needed to take it on some level. Yeah. So it was interesting. The other thing is in the 18th and 19th century Ireland, um, certain parts of the, of the population were not allowed to go to school, namely the very poor or the nonconformists, as they were mm -hmm. called. And there was the development of something called hedge schools. And hedge schools were illegal schools that were started by, you know, individuals. And some of them met in the hedgerows. That's why they were called hedge schools. But, you know, often they would, oftentimes they would just meet in a, in a home or something like that. In these schools, there was an emphasis on the classics. And uh, the classical languages were taught. That was a priority for them. And so I just think it's fascinating that two, that the people who champion education among people who had the least access to it prioritized the classical languages. Yeah. I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. That is. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. awesome. So why wouldn't we, right? Why wouldn't we teach it? Yeah. So yep. if somebody says, why teach Latin? Like, why wouldn't you teach Latin? So we talked, let's see, there, another question. We talked a little bit about Memoria Press. Do you have any other resources that you often use for teaching Latin? Maybe other curricula or videos, dictionary, certain books, anything right. like that? 
I mean, I am such a diehard fan of the way Memoria Press does Latin. Um, I have done a lot of di different curricula. There's one that comes, I would say, it's probably tied, or, but I would do it with older students. It would be a more of a high school level uh, Latin course. But as far as for children and for keeping a seamless, consistent uh, curriculum, I think the form series is one of the best things that's ever been written. Yeah. It is thorough. It is absolutely user-friendly. Okay, you know, I have to remind your audience, I was them yeah. 20 years ago. I didn't know any Latin at all other than singing in Latin. Yeah. So if I can do it, with Latina Christiana and the form series and Henley, I know anybody else can do it. So I think that it is, and Cheryl Lowe obviously didn't write Henley, Father Henley wrote Henley, mm -hmm. and it's a program from the 1940s, uh, a Latin program, um, but it's very, very good. Um, so I think Cheryl Lowe's approach of, you know, her motto, multum non multa, which is much, not many. Yeah. Her goal was to limit the amount of information and to learn it well and to learn it deeply. And that's what it accomplishes. And so that's why I think that it's so successful and so accessible for homeschoolers because she was an autodidact with Latin. Mm -hmm. And so she created her curriculum with you and me in mind. And yeah. I think she's been successful at that. You know, her goal wasn't to make it fun. You can make it fun anecdotally, but that's not the goal of it. The goal of it is to teach it successfully and to really feel successful as a teacher yourself. Um, that being said, there are some really fun Latin readers that are out there, um, just fun stories that are written in Latin. I would steer away from things like Harry Potter and Charlotte's Web. They're there, they're in Latin, but they're very hard to read and they're not real Latin, obviously. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, fun little simple readers can be, can be a fun option. There are so many good YouTube channels that have all kinds of stuff on them. Um, I oftentimes will show them to my students um, just to kind of show them what else is out there. I took a spoken Latin course um, in February and March. That was a whole new ball game for me and, but a lot of fun and very challenging to kind of bring a different dimension into the, into the language. Um, the national Latin exam is a wonderful goal to work toward. I think, especially if you're planning on, you know, sticking with Latin for a period of time. My favorite dictionary is the Casals Latin Dictionary. Um, what it does is you look up words and it embeds the def definitions within quotes that are from real Latin. So you can kind of get some context with them. Um, that's a really, really helpful tool. There's a, this other book called the Big Gold Book of Latin Verbs, and it's practically every verb you could think of conjugated in absolute full. So it's a, it's a, a really handy resource, particularly for verbs that are strange and there are a number of them. So great. That's very helpful. I'm going to have to write a lot of those things down. So mm -hmm. for you personally, not even your students or your kids or anything like that, but for you personally, what has been the best part of this journey with Latin? I think I've touched on some of it already, just um, finding a new passion, um, realizing that I still have so much to learn and that I can learn. And mm -hmm. that at this point in my life, you know, just because I'm done with formal education, it doesn't mean I'm done, done learning. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's, especially when I took, took literature courses, Latin poetry is challenging and hard, but it is really 
beautiful to mm-hmm. listen to you, to, to study. I think that that personal gratifications come from that. I think teaching those, like I mentioned, those, those light bulb moments, those teaching victories, as I call them, of just inspiring a student or inspiring a mom um, yeah. to, to say, I can do this and mm-hmm. to equip them to do that is really, there's just nothing like it. Um, yes. So, and I didn't, it's not, like I said, I did, it's not something I saw coming, mm-hmm. um, but it's been really a wonderful thing. Really. Yeah, that's great. Things. I know you said it makes you smarter. It makes you feel smarter too. I feel smarter <laughs> after <laughs> learning it, you know, and I still have a long way to go, but <laughs> yep. just feel like I can do more things. I feel like I can read more, understand more, you know? Yeah. Oh, I think homeschooling was the best education I ever got. And, um, and teaching Latin also was, has been an education in and of itself as well. And it's, it is. I know I say all the time I'm learning more, way more now teaching my kids than when I was in school. Well, my motto is docendo discimus, which is we learn by teaching. And um, that is, that has been my motto from the beginning. So I think a lot of moms that will resonate with a lot of moms. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And also I try to remember when my kids don't want to do something or they think something is not fun. Eventually, maybe since we're going down this path, maybe they will love learning even more than I do when they are adults and that they'll be like a step ahead of where I am when they, when they are adults. It's okay if they don't love everything right now, they still have to do it, but it's okay if they don't love it. (laughs) Yes. And what I will just throw this in there. My older son, uh, he was my Latin guinea pig, obviously. And took Latin all through high school, ended up being able to take it to the public high school. And then when he went to college, he dropped it for years. Like I'm done with Latin. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. But he (laughs) thought it was. So he took French for a year. The teacher spoke English for about 10 minutes and then just launched into French and that was it. And so he had a year of French and lo and behold, he came back to Latin. He ended up being a classics and English double major. And one of his strengths, if you will, is his knowledge of Latin that he has studied since um, as well. But he was the one that didn't ever want to see it again. And now he's the one that actually is using it in his program and is using it to help other people. And it's really, it's been really fun to see that. And he's, you know, little, little, you know, sheepishly, you know, yeah, mom, thanks. You know, (laughs) you know, so again, he, you know, there was a point where he didn't love it. There was a yeah. point where he gave it up for a while, but I think he saw its value in more ways than it was a linguistic tool with his work, but also I think he just valued it as a language as well. Well, I'm so glad you shared that because I actually have a friend, and I don't know if I put this on your questions, but I have a friend that asked, she said she has a high schooler right now who he's gone, I think he's gone through the form series, but he does not want to do any more Latin. He wants to move on to other languages. She wants yeah. him to continue his Latin with the other languages and she's at a crossroads like do I let him stop do I force him to keep going so what would your advice be there oh that is a really hard call there's nothing wrong with that was one of your questions about studying the languages simultaneously that's 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 a false dichotomy um I had a homeschool student I taught for a number of years and I for two two years I taught her French and Latin simultaneously Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it was funny because every once in a while she would pop out with the Latin during French class and French during the Latin class. But, um, yeah. you know, so she sort of had to sort those things out. But 
you know, at the high school, a number of the kids, particularly the kids that were like in AP Latin, were taking AP Spanish and AP French, and they didn't find a conflict. They found actually reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what happens with older kids, this is, this is my observation, um, especially if they come to Latin a little bit later and they've done kind of the grunt work, they're ready for more. Mm-hmm. And if they're not getting more as far as like maybe diving into some literature or, you know, really kind of moving in that direction, they can, they can get pretty frustrated. Um, so I think for some kids, it's getting into literature that brings back a whole new love for the language because they now value all that grunt work that they did have to do. Whereas if they just stop when the grunt work's over, that's all they think it is. Um, mm-hmm. So when my students at the end of fourth form say they're not going on, I tell them, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. You're just really getting started. And the, the opportunities that you have ahead of you with reading Caesar, reading Cicero, reading the Aeneid, and you know, maybe doing poetry or something like that, mm-hmm. that's when all the fun really begins. So um, I don't know if there's a way to convince him. Yeah. You know, I think every yeah. family has to make that call. Mm-hmm. There's certainly nothing wrong with going on to uh, spoken language. I have had a number of students who have done that, but who will say they're very thankful that they have the Latin they did. Um, because, yeah. Yeah. you know, when you're learning some of those complicated things, and I mean, French is not an easy language. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, that was, those are the walls I hit were the grammar walls and the things that I didn't understand how the language was put together mm-hmm. um, because I didn't have the grammar now it would be a whole different story, you know, right. had I had it, you know, before. So I think it, I don't think it's necessarily an either or, um, they have to make that decision themselves and mm-hmm. in prayer and wisdom. But I yeah. also don't, don't, I think with older kids, we have to be really careful um, to not force them to do mm-hmm. certain things. You know, if they, if he's done Latin and he has a good foundation, there's certainly nothing wrong with saying, okay, you know, or let's just do one more year. And then we'll let you, you know, mm-hmm. make the decision at that point. You know, sometimes you can kind of negotiate a little bit with older yeah. kids. Or maybe like you said, your son took a different language for a while, realized how much Latin helped him and he wanted to go back to it. So there's always that too. There is a definitely that possibility. I think sometimes, especially for teenagers, which I don't have teenagers yet, but I was a teenager. When you're being forced <laughs> to do something, you don't, you just don't have a good attitude about it. But then you might decide on your own. <clears throat> oh, I want to do that. Essentially, <laughs> you know? yeah. want to take credit for it, which is, you know, that's that's just a yeah. that's part of growing up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, well, let's piggyback on that a little bit. So, you were talking about um, the form series, and then Henley, and then all of the poetry and things you can read. What comes after Henley if you want to keep going with Latin? So, Henley um, has four levels, actually. Oh, okay. Um, so, the form series incorporates the um, Henley one into it. Um, so if you, if you study Henley as a standalone program, the form series, uh, basically spreads out the first Henley book over four years. That's, I mean, that's a very, very simplistic way to look at it, but that's basically what it does. Um, although the form series goes a little bit further than Henley one in some of the stuff in the later part of the book. So would you go Um, on to Henley right after the form series? You would go on to Henley two then right after the form series, you wouldn't do Henley one? Yeah, so you okay. then go to um, Henley 2, which okay. does a big review of everything you've done. So I have a, a Henley 2 class, my local homeschool classes on Henley 2. 
So yeah. we're you know in the midst of doing just this giant review of everything. And then slowly you start to bring in this uh, Caesar the Dibella Gallico. Um, and then it's done in a, in a bridged format initially, um, and then eventually um, unabridged. So that's, that's the goal. And there's also some Christian readings and things like that in, in Henley too. Um, but you can, you can kind of decide whether or not to do those. Those are, you don't have to do those. So if you want to just keep it Caesar, you can do that. Then Henley three, the focus is on Cicero and various mm -hmm. writings of Cicero. And then Henley four, the emphasis is on the Aeneid, which is okay. what, so the AP Latin is the Aeneid and Caesar combined, um, but okay. not using Henley, but using actually different curricula, um, okay. but obviously covering the same literature. Um, so, you know, you can stop at the form series, but I feel like that's, you've only gotten to the grammar. You haven't gotten to really have fun with the language yet. Um, if you progress through, you can switch curriculum at that point, um, or you can continue on with Henley and just continue in that vein. You have to have a really solid, um, pretty advanced uh, grammar basis to be able to go on to real unabridged literature. Um, mm -hmm. And depending upon the, the writer, some of it's very, very hard, and some of it is um, less hard. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's something that's really good to do in a class with, you know, a, a teacher who truly knows the material. Um, so there's a lot more, you know, past the form series and even, you know, kind of which direction you want to, which branch you want to go off as far as beyond the grammar, the corpus of the grammar. Um, okay. I guess you could, I'm not sure if I answered the question or not, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just what's next really. So, you yeah. know, somebody's thinking about what, their path is going to be for their kids or for themselves. Just how far do we go with this? What comes next? Now, does Memoria Press have all of the things you mentioned? Uh, they have, yeah, they have all the way through AP Latin. Okay. Um, there have been some summer classes that have been offered. There was uh, this last summer class in the Latin Vulgate. So Latin Vulgate is, you know, it's a later Latin. So the structure and stuff isn't, isn't quite the same. Um, and so you would, you know, really need to, have a good teacher. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a good teacher who was doing it. So I'm sure it was a, a really excellent class. And then I think we've had one or two poetry classes in the summer. Um, you know, there's some kind of bat some ideas around as far as just offering a little bit more beyond, you know, that because people do ask for it. A lot of times kids will take the AP in their junior year, especially mm -hmm. if they start Latin really early. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're kind of at a, an end. Um, but you can also look for online courses or if you're near you know, a good university that has classics classes, mm -hmm. you can always look into something like that too. Now, at what point do you recommend taking the national Latin exam and what are, what are the benefits of taking that? Kids love taking it, which okay. I, I've, this will be, let's see, this coming up one will be my 15th year of giving the national Latin exam. And I've never had anybody complain about it. They all really enjoy taking it. I think the um, seeing how they compare to all these other Latin students all over the world um, yeah. is really gratifying. The, the awards that they get, um, they just get so excited about those. It's, it's just a, a neat way to compare yourself um, to and they other can get students. scholarships, right? Do they get scholarships they for They do. It? They are very, very hard to get. Um, okay. Only, I think there's only 16 now um, that are available, but they are a $2,000 renewable scholarship um, for seniors, and they have to take from the three, four poetry and above um, to be okay. able to apply. My, okay. I have had two, two students who've, who have applied and neither of them got it. Um, okay. 
but uh, yeah, that's available. Um, I think also it, it tests them in culture and mythology and history. And so my whole developing of the, the NLE classes um, it brings in a different aspect of the language that, um, you know, when, with, with Memorial Press, we tend to focus on Latin as the language. Mm -hmm. uh, some Latin curricula will incorporate lots of other aspects into the language portion. And there's, you know, it's just a different approach. Um, stu our students will get it through, you know, famous men in Rome or mm -hmm. through their classic, you know, classical studies or whatever. They'll, they'll get it in various classes. So this sort of ties it all together. Mm -hmm. um, and... I recommend students don't take it until, it just kind of all depends on the student. Um, I recommend the intro of the very first one uh, during third form, only okay. because it would be very, very easy for them. And even a second form student could do well on the, on the intro level. Um, it's just that as the uh, tests advance or progress through the sequence, they get exponentially a little bit more difficult. So. Um, with the fourth form students, what they end up running into if they take the level two, what it's renamed now, I don't remember all the names, but um, what was traditionally the level two, there was some stuff that they weren't getting to, getting to until later in the year. And so, um, so they kind of ran into a little bit of problem. And I, I really like to make sure that my students know the stuff really well so that they okay. can be assured of, of doing well. And it's, 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 perfectly appropriate. It's, it's right at where they are. Um, there's certainly nothing, I'm not, you know, dumbing down, if you will, at all. Um, but I also don't want to give them a test that they have to do all this extra work just to try to take the test. Now, you said you developed a class just for this. So the form series, is that not enough for the exam? Or would they also need that famous Men of Rome? You think those um, two together? They, so we have study guides. So Cheryl Lowe wrote the intro one and two. Uh, study guides that go with the corresponding exams. Okay. Um, and so though you would need those because they're going to bring in the culture and the mythology and the conversation and all of those things that the form series is talks about anecdotally, but that's mm -hmm. not the focus of it. Okay. Um, and then in process, I'm actually currently, oh, I've written and it's being edited right now, the level three national Latin study exam. Um, oh, okay. So um, so we'll have the full set um, available for people to, to go from you know, the really uh, foundational levels of the NLE. Okay, awesome. Thank you for doing that. That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so I have a friend who said she is just doing first form Latin this year, just starting this year with her sixth grader. She, uh, well, she has other kids and she has an at-home business. So she's been letting her sixth grader just work independently. That has not been, you know, doing flashcards or anything like that. And now she's kind of rethinking and wondering, okay, should I not, should this not be an independent class? Should I be more involved? Um, and how to really do that after I haven't been doing it, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this is a really, this is a good question. I think it's an important question. Mm -hmm. um, this is my opinion and only my opinion. Um, so I'm not trying to make a blanket statement for people. I'm very hesitant to just hand stuff to children and have them teach. I think mm -hmm. not only it's, it's hard enough to learn something, but then to have the burden of having to teach yourself as well, I think mm -hmm. is, is, I don't think it's best. Mm -hmm. Um, so personally for this particular student or for someone like them, 
if there's a real desire to do Latin, but the mom doesn't have the time or doesn't really have the inclination to do it, that's where we have classes for Memorial Press Online Academy. I think those are a wonderful option for there to be a real class for a student to take. Um, It's a great uh, sort of beginning online class. So if students are not used to taking online classes, um, it's a great way to kind of get your feet wet with the whole online learning aspect. Um, But I, I do, I think what happens is students get overwhelmed and they just kind of drop the ball because they don't, it's all on them. Um, So I think it is really important for there to be accountability. That being said, even when you put your student in a class, whether in a cottage school or a classical school or online, parental involvement and oversight is absolutely a non-negotiable. So just to be aware of what your student is doing, holding them accountable. Um, You know, I've, I've had some very interesting stories of students who didn't have that, that, that accountability um, mm-hmm. and some problems that arose from that. So I think it's, it is important to sort of, maybe it probably would be good for her to back up and really evaluate, do we really want to do this? And if we do, what's the best way to carry this out so that students can be successful and, mm-hmm. um, and that they can be alleviated of that. I get that. I mean, that's why I outsourced my student, my son to do logic and science. I mm-hmm. couldn't do a good job. I, I knew I couldn't. And right. I was so thankful to have that option because yeah. I don't know what would have happened, you know? So, Absolutely. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know if that, um, you know, there are, there is that rare student who just takes to that kind of thing. Um, but I think it's more rare than we maybe want it to be. Um, yes. So I need that, that support and that help and that guidance. And I think for, I think it also maybe ask yourself, well, why am I having them learn Latin? Because I have certain subjects that my fifth grader does all on her own, but it's not subjects that I place a whole lot of importance on, you mm-hmm. know? So the ones that I want to make sure she masters and that we are going to keep going with, I am definitely involved in those and I'm yeah. learning it alongside her. So it's yeah. just, if you're just doing Latin because you just want a little bit of exposure, you don't plan to keep going with it then maybe it's okay, you know, because I think any exposure will help them. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and I would say if you tried it and it didn't pan out, don't look at it as a failure, you know. Right. It, um, I think it's really important. We, we feel that enough already as homeschool moms. Yes. I think just feeling like we have to do it all or, oh, wow, I really – I mean, I was a failure at science. In fact, my, my younger son, we were, we were talking about homeschooling over the weekend on the phone. And, you know, it was really nice. He sort of had these like really nice, you know, memories of homeschooling. But then he started giggling about science, you know, and like, you know, remember when we did science? And we're all like, ha, ha, ha. You know, it, was, it just was something I had a really hard time being faithful to. So, oh, me too. Yeah. Science is the one we keep ignoring. I put it on the schedule and then... I end up turning on a generation genius video and like, well, this is our science this week. <laughs> or, you know, they go to call up and have science experiments. I'm like, that's nothing. <laughs> I know. No, I think, I think it's true. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's just, um, take me, I think, I think it's a, it's a good question to ask. And I think every parent at some point probably does that just sort of like, okay, mm-hmm. I need to reset here. I need to kind of, you know, rethink my, you know, my priorities and, and yeah. make those good decisions. And it's also okay to retake first form. Like if she does it on her own this year and then next year you have time to do it with her, let her do it again. Okay. <laughs> so you actually said something 
that I wrote at some place on my, on my papers, <laughs> that it's okay to redo it. It's mm-hmm. okay to slow down. It's mm-hmm. okay to, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's a fair question. And it's, and it, and it, it's, I think it's admirable because she's being honest about, you know, yes. her own situation. And I think as homeschoolers, sometimes we feel like we can't be, and it's like, no, we can be, we need to be, you know? Yeah. So yeah. We can't do it all. So just choose, choose what's most important. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think about Latin being taught family style? Cause as you know, homeschoolers, we have a lot of kids. I have four and I feel like that's really not that many. Cause I have friends that have seven, eight, nine, 10 kids. So when you have all these different levels, that makes it a lot harder too. So do you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, the thing that's kind of neat about something like a language, whether Latin or another one, is that everybody has to start at the same place. Mm-hmm. So if you've never done Latin before, you can start everybody in Latin. Mm-hmm. You can just, you know, you can, and there are certain things you can do together. So for example, your recitations or mm-hmm. your drill work, that mm-hmm. needs to be done yeah. anyway. And so you can do that as a group. So depending upon how many kids you have and where they're at, um, you can pair them off or triple them off, right? If you, let's say everybody's starting in first form and you have a range of ages, um, you know, you can teach the basic stuff to the older group. And then, so in in that kind of situation, if you're confident enough to really teach the material, then you can have those older students, for example, do the worksheet drills and things Mm -hmm. like that, that they can do independently, of course. but as far as the actual teaching aspect, you know, that can be done as a group and then you can, um, you know, and then you can work with younger ones, um, you know, either with a different curriculum or, uh, you know, just at a slower pace, for example, you could mm-hmm. take, you could take the younger group, they could cover first form in two years, whereas the older group could do it in a year, or maybe there's yeah. some that are, you know, particularly excited and they do it in a half a year. I mean, there's just, yeah. you can piece it all out so that you're not doing five different curricula or five different levels all at the same time, at least initially. Um, And then at that point, as people sort of settle in, you know, maybe that's a good time for the older ones to take it online or to, um, you know, get part of a a co-op or a cottage group if that, you know, a Mm -hmm. cottage school, if that's available to them. Well, and the Moria Press does make it easy with the DVDs too. So that even is if true. you have different that levels in there, watch. Yes. I don't know if you have very many devices or if you do it on different days, but you can watch the DVDs with them. Yep, that is true. Okay, let's see. So now we have some like kind of specific questions about um, about the first form. So in Memoria Press, first form Latin, why are the verbs presented in the first person singular rather than the infinitive? I have a background in French and this approach confuses me. <laughs> this is a this is another one of those questions I really had to to percolate over. Good question, and I'll just say that not every Latin program does it the same way Memory Press does, and that's I mean you can get there's dozens of them out there, and they all have a slightly different approach. They all are generally going in the same direction and are generally using you know similar stuff and covering it. They just cover different things at different times. The first thing to keep in mind is that. Uh, the form series in particular was written with children in mind. And so, mm-hmm. and younger children. Um, and mm-hmm. so infinitives, uh, that was the focus was on, you know, identifying, you know, verbs according to infinitive. That is true with Latin as well. But even the first person 
singular with the you know the different uh, person and number um, aspects of it when you're when you're conjugating it, even from that let's say present tense, you can already identify a conjugation that that verb belongs to. And so there are four main groups of, of verbs, um, and they are you know separated out. The infinitive is ultimately the identifier for the conjugation, but there are other ways to figure out what conjugation it belongs to. So it doesn't have the same um, kind of necessity that, for example, French infinitives do. So I, I took French and there were like these three main groups and you had to pretty much know which one it was from the infinitive in order to be able to conjugate it properly. Okay. You, it's a little bit more straightforward in Latin. So you don't, you're not as dependent upon the infinitive to do that. The other aspect is that you can create sentences right away because verb, because pronouns are built into the actual verb form. They're not separate words in Latin. And so right away, students are in a sense, quote, writing sentences. Right. He is walking. Yeah. And for yeah. young learners, that concrete um, aspect of it is very, very helpful and important for kind of getting it into their system, if you will. Um, Infinitives also take on a life of their own in Latin, um, especially they're used in much more advanced forms and they're used in ways that are not used in English or French or Spanish. And so they learn them as compliments um, pretty early on just to, you know, I love to walk, that kind of simplicity, but they really get complicated later. So there isn't that need to put the emphasis on the, on the infinitive um, okay. right away. But I think more that more, the more important thing is the fact that you can still figure out how to conjugate a verb by not necessarily knowing the conjugation or the, the infinitive right away. Great. So. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. I don't have a French background though. So. <laughs> All right. I asked this question to everybody. If you could go back to the very beginning of your homeschool journey, just knowing what, what all you know now, would you change anything? Would you do anything differently? This is another really good question. You know, first of all, I'll just say I wouldn't trade those years for anything. And even in the times when it was, I wanted to give up, I was listening to Robin Meadows and was amening many of her comments, one of which was when the school bus went by, I wanted them, I wanted the school bus to take my children. And <laughs> we had those days where it was just like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Um, but looking back, I would not trade those, those, those years for anything. And I think my, don't think, I don't think my kids would either. Uh, and so I want, I present that as a positive sort of background because I think that even in the midst of the struggles and the changes and the things I wish it had done differently, that I would not have changed. Um, mm -hmm. So I think um, finding classical education sooner, I didn't find it terribly late, but it would have really saved me, as I mentioned before, kind of doing the curriculum hop, um, you know, of yeah. just trying this and trying that and trying this. And um, I really felt like it brought everything together and helped me to make really good, confident decisions about mm -hmm. curriculum. Well, um, let me stop you real quick, though. Do you think if you hadn't gone through all of the different curriculum options, do you think that you would have loved it as much? Like, would it, that's you know good, what I mean? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. I think that, yeah, it probably did play into the fact that it like, okay, I can stop doing this now, kind of highlight it, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Uh, you don't really realize what you're looking for until you go through what you really yeah, are I, not I, looking I for. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. And I think that that's fair because it could be that maybe that homeschool mom needs to do, especially in the beginning, needs to kind of wander just a little bit. You know, I, I tended to get um, overzealous in what I thought I should do. Um, yeah. So started to try to do too much. Um, I think that was another thing that classical education helped me was really in those younger years, streamlining really to the three R's, if you will, because that is the absolute foundation for everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I didn't spend as much time on math as I should have, because I was so worried about doing, you know, something else that really didn't have to do with, that was necessarily even age appropriate, might've been fun, but it wasn't age appropriate, you know, I think it, um, that would have not been good. So, you know, it was easy to get overwhelmed by feeling like I had to do so much. So I think, you know, kind of realizing that maybe a little sooner that I just, I needed to start small and just take very, very incremental steps and Mm -hmm. not try to be overzealous in what I had to do. I think comparing, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that comparison, curse of comparison was probably just something that was really a struggle. Uh, especially when you went to conferences, you know, and you saw what looked like these perfect families and felt like, you know, you kind of didn't belong or whatever. And um, I think that was something that really, it just, you just have to really develop a a sense of humility before the Lord. And as Robin, I'll amen what she said as well, as far as God is in charge, God Mm -hmm. is in charge of your family. God is in charge of your school. And if you're seeking his will, he's going to, he's going to direct you. He's going to tell you what to do and where to go and how to do it. And um, I think you can then rest in what God has for you and not be so hung up in what other people are thinking or what you think they're thinking. Yeah. You know, the the perfect homeschool family that we all, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this phantom family, I don't know who they are, but, and I don't think (laughs) they exist, but I think we all get haunted by them. And I think just being able to just know that God has created your family with, with a, you know, a plan for your family and just being able to rejoice and, and rest in that. I know that's the hardest part for me is the comparison trap falling into that. And even my kids, I mean, I feel like it's just something like innately in us. They are, they compare themselves to other people too, especially my daughter, you know, really? and it's just, I don't, I, I feel like we should be avoiding that as homeschoolers because you see that so much with girls in public school, but just, we have our, we have our own version of it, don't we? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. that is, I think that is the hardest part. How do you remedy that? How do you fight that? Um, I mean, it's a constant battle. I'm, I'm a lot better at it now than I used to be because I had just realized that, um, I mean, God wants us to do this and he doesn't want us to all be the same and realizing that and reminding myself of that really helps. He made us all uniquely the way we are. He made us for the time that we're in right now. He gave me the children that I have for a reason and, um, just reminding myself of that and reminding my kids of that. That's what helps. Um, But then I also sometimes think, you know, he also puts people in our lives for a reason and not that we should compare ourselves to them, but that we should learn from them. And so if we could kind of try to, to change that comparing to gaining wisdom and learning from other people, instead of comparing ourselves to other people, I mean, it's not, it's hard to do. I don't have it down, but that's, that's, those are just the things that I remind myself of probably daily. (laughs) Right. And I think, I think just even that awareness aspect, um, I think for a while I didn't realize I was doing it as much as I was. And so mm-hmm. it, 
kind of got a got a grip on me maybe and then it kind of took me by surprise because I didn't realize what a grip it did have on me because I mm-hmm. sort of wasn't aware that that was going to be a problem. So mm-hmm. I think that, that that seems to be more kind of out there. People talk about it much more openly, I think, than maybe yeah. when I was homeschooling. I mean, we all yeah. talked about it amongst each other, but yeah. um, but I don't know. Um, it just seems to be more, I think people are just more aware of it, which is, I think, really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Encourage, encourage each other along those lines. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reason I'm doing this podcast too. It just helps to know that other people feel the same way. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me in the beginning, so I have a background in, in education. And so I would compare my kids to other kids that were in the public schools. I thought that they needed to be doing the things that the public school kids were doing. And that's really hard because we're, we're not, we're doing this. So they're not the same as the public school kids. Right. But then we have, we still fall into that comparison and we think like, well, are they going to be okay if we ever put them into the school system? Are we messing them up? You know, all of these thoughts that really, that's, what's wearing us out. We could, we could have so much more energy if we would stop thinking about all of these things. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I think like you're saying that, that emotional energy that we expend, constantly. I mean, it's already hard enough when you're, you know, you're a stay-at-home mom and you have lots of kids and you have their education on your, on your uh, plate as well. But yeah, there's a lot of, we expend a lot of emotional energy that I think just really taxes us in ways that um, doesn't need to. But again, that's something that we all, I think we all have to wrestle through that ourselves. And I think everybody has to kind of go through that and come to that place of rest and come to that place of, of trust. That. Yeah. And now you can help your kids through it. We'll see. <laughs> my daughter, my daughter does talk about homeschooling. Um, so that's encouraging. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to Well, even if they don't homeschool though, they're still going to have a lot of these same feelings just as a parent. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Now that I do have a grandchild and uh, talk with my daughter, you know, it's very interesting just She's light years ahead of where I was, though, at that age. I feel like she's just, I tell her that her head's screwed on much tighter than mine was. At that age, but, um, but it's, it's, it is fun to be able to kind of commiserate now in a, in a positive way. Um, you can take credit for that. That's because you were her mom and that's because you taught her. Yeah. Well, and the grace of God. Let's say that. (laughs) Yeah. The grace of God. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any last words of advice or wisdom? Um, You know, I just basically the bottom line, I've already said it, but I really am convinced that if you can, if you want to do Latin and you see it's important and you can value it, that you can do it and you can do it well, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to do a day over it's okay to do a lesson over. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all part of the, the learning curve that we all have with homeschooling. So I, that's why I started the, the adult classes. I just, mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to help moms grow in that confidence and be able mm-hmm. to, to show them that they can do this and that it's really valuable, um, mm-hmm. that it's more than just a language and building your vocabulary. There's a, there's a whole other aspect to it that I think can be really enriching in, in their lives as moms, as homeschool moms, but also in their kids. So, um, yeah, just keep at it, 
give me a holler if you need help. I love yes. helping moms. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you so, so much. This was so much fun to do. And it's so, so nice to see your face again, because every week yeah. in the summer, I saw you two days a week. I've missed you. <laughs> I know, I know. That was so like I my mom, that. my me time was my Latin class. <laughs> Even though my kids were running around behind me, it was still my me time. <laughs> we're not alone. You were not alone. Yeah. Well, I hope to see you next summer. That would be really fun. Oh, yes. No, I'm definitely taking it. You better have it. You better have second form next summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, and your class is going well? Oh, it's going great. Yes. Good. I'm loving it. It's a lot of fun. I wish that it, we had more in person than on Zoom, but your class also helped me be more confident to teach online because I had never yes. taught online before. Yes, I think that that was really, I, you know, I just didn't even think about that, to be honest with you. I think I just assumed everything was going to go back to normal sooner than it did. But yeah, yeah I think that's a, that's, a really, that's a really good point. I think it was kind of providential, you know, to yeah. be able to take it online. Because well, it was perfect timing for me being able to take that class when I did. It was perfect timing. <laughs> and if you're keeping a group of boys interested and enjoying it and you're on Zoom, you're <laughs> well, we're on Zoom every other week. It's like we've split up. We have so many kids in our co op tutorial. So we've split up. So every other week, half of them are in person and half of them are on Zoom. So oh. I do see them sometimes in person and sometimes okay. on Zoom. Yeah. So that's nice. That's this week is going to be in person. And, um, it's the, so Friday, the second season of the Mandalorian is coming out. And so since we're always talking about Yoda and Star Wars, I'm going to wear a Yoda mask. <laughs> oh, that is so great. That I mean, probably so not great. for the whole class. Like I say that we do these fun things. We don't do it the whole time. Like we'll, we'll oh, conjugate. Oh and oh, once well, with yeah. our Yoda voices, and then we'll stand up and recite. You know what I mean? Of course. Of course. <laughs> no, and I think those kinds of things, like, bring in a kind of culture into your classroom. And mm -hmm. it's so interesting for the, I don't even know how many classes I've taught now. And it's, there's just certain things that happen in these classes. And it's oftentimes sort of initiated from those kinds of fun little, little sort of inside jokes, you know, that end yeah. up being sort of like your your thing for your class. And yeah. that's great. I'm, I'm so impressed that you're doing that because I think that would be, because you said you taught Latina Christiana, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. But this is your first time teaching first form. Yes. Wow. That is yeah. fabulous. You prepared so me for it. Well, when I was asked to teach it, I said no at first because I didn't think I was ready, but then I just realized, no, I need to do this. I want to do this. And, um, I just made myself get ready, you know, and your class helped me with that so much. Well, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, Latina Christiana, the kids that have Latina Christiana coming into form series are way stronger than the kids that have never had Latin. I mean, well, the kids I have right now have not done Latina Christiana. I actually taught that at a different school. So these are seventh grade boys and they have never had Latin before. So yes. they're doing great with it. We did. So this week we, we, spent two weeks on one lesson because they just need it. They're, like they're doing their work and everything. They just needed yep. a little extra help. Yep. So yep. we spent two weeks on one lesson and that's okay. <laughs> that's exactly, I mean, you see, I think that's the, the great thing about like a co-op or just doing it at home is that flexibility of being able to do exactly that. Like, Oh, we yeah. really need an extra week online. That's it's, we can't do that. You know, we have a syllabus we, that we have right. to get done by the end of the year. Yeah. So what I do is I then offer these extra classes like I did with ours, you know, where it's like, here's a translation class or here's a whatever to try to 
kind of give them that little extra support because sometimes yeah. it just it, things just you know for whatever reason may not quite gel you know yeah. and i think that's i mean that's what i with the co-op i mean i'm the i run the show and so i can go as fast or as slow as i want to and i i like right. that, that yes yeah it's nice i'm constantly in contact with the parents and so i don't know yet how the rest of the year is going to play out because we haven't been following our syllabus exactly so we can either catch up later or maybe see if they want to do it over the summer or yep. next year just start with wherever we leave yep. off just pick it there so we'll see yep. i mean i think that's where well, like the form the first form has got so much review built in yeah yeah boys they're just so much fun they are and also i'm typically i typically like the preschool and kindergarten age i am like bubbly and I have puppets and I like stuff like that. So I was really, that's what I was more worried about than actually yeah. teaching first form is what are seventh graders going to think of me? Yeah. You know, yeah. they, as far as I know, they love it. I think a lot of times they're laughing at me, not with me, but that's okay. <laughs> they're going to be laughing at you for sure. I'm really thinking about pulling out my puppet sometime just to see what they do. <laughs> you totally should. You know, I think I think junior high is such a great age. I mean, just in the times that I've taught it, which I've taught a number of them, their brains are going 1,000 miles per hour. You know, yeah. their bodies and their brains are just like in constant, they're on all the time. But it's such a rich time for their learning. I mean, they are just, they're just, it, it's just wonderful. So I think it's great that you're, that you're giving that to them and you know, there's a lot of ways you can, you're already figuring it out, you know, different ways you can make well, it Well, you helped so much. Like I said, you helped my confidence, not just with Latin, but just with teaching online. And you, I think I was the question asker in our group. I asked you so many questions and you always you did, did a great job. Great. I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I so appreciated that. It was, that and now was I'm asking you questions again. <laughs> well, it's fine. I just... I think it's, it's, these kind of exchanges can be so helpful and I really like it. I like it when any student asks me questions because it gets me to think in ways that, you know, it's like, oh, I haven't thought about that before or, yeah. oh, wow, that's a really good question. Does anybody else have a good answer for that? You know, so yeah. it's great. You just keep learning when you teach, I'll tell you. This is great. Thank you. And just let me know, you know, if you have time, like what, feedback or if there's anything, you know, cause I, I would be just curious to know if it's helpful at all to people. Cause I really, I do, I just have such, such a heart for these young moms. And I sort of feel like that whole Timothy or uh, Titus two, you know, where the older women are supposed to teach the younger women. And yeah, I know that applies to, you know, scriptural things and, you know, husbands and children and all of that. But I feel like there's sort of like a corollary that can come off of that, of just, you know, being on this side of things. And I think yeah. in some younger moms, especially if they don't have um, access to their families, um, you know, immediate access that it can be really challenging and really lonely. And I think women in the church can mm -hmm. be sort of those, those, you know, substitute moms, if you will, you know, to kind of help through. So I sort of, I just, that's why I sort of have that, you know, just this real desire to help the young moms be successful. Absolutely. Well, I lost my mom five years ago. My husband actually asked me um, about the episode with Robin because I never, I didn't know her either. I mean, I know, I know you, but I didn't know her. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I just love listening to women who have been through this before because I don't have my mom to ask, to just call and ask questions to you. So it's just, it's just really helpful. It is, and it's helpful to me. And I know it's helpful to so many others too. So once again, thank you. Great, Carla. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye.